0: The following message was recorded at New Beginnings Church in Slidell, Louisiana. Please feel free to duplicate and share this message as you feel led, and you are invited to visit us at New Beginnings Church at 3:30 Robert Boulevard, Slidell, Louisiana, 70458. Our Sunday services start at 10 a.m. If you have any questions, call us at 985-781-4663, and may God richly bless you as you listen to this message. Made it. <laughs> <laughs> and those of you who have heard him before, uh, uh, are ready for some good vittles, as you say. Those who haven't heard him before, you're in for a treat. James, come on up here, and I'll turn the mic over to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. He made it through the New Orleans traffic.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for your patience. I, I was, should have left earlier, but I was in traffic on I-10. There was a wreck on I-10 before I even got across the lake. And all I saw was a sea of red taillights, so I called Morris and Pat, but anyway, some, somebody prayed because something opened up. I really appreciate you guys coming out tonight. Um, good to see everybody. Good to see you. I was thinking, driving over here, that it's always a blessing when I come here because I feel so encouraged and um, just loved. And just really um, received, it's really a blessing just to be here. Um, I want to share some thoughts tonight about um, how to to minister to a a fallen believer. And when I say fallen, I don't even like that term fallen, but um, you know what I'm talking about. It's a believer that gets trapped in sin or in the flesh or or something like that, because I think this is a serious... Serious problem we have in, in the church in the way we, we respond to uh, sin in the body of Christ um, I think we can we can have a grasp of the finished work of Christ and the grace of God, but the real test the real test comes when how, how we respond to another brother or sister who Falls into sin or who is trapped in some kind of fleshly sin. That's the real test. Because we can we can you know quote all the scriptures about being free from the law and under grace and so forth, but how do we respond to that person who is struggling? And there are two kinds of people we're talking about here. We're talking about a person who is unrepentant, there's a believer who gets in trouble in the flesh and they're unrepentant. And Jesus and the apostle Paul talks about how to, how to approach that, how to handle that. Then you have the believer who is repentive, who, who repents, changes his mind, her mind, and, and no longer wants to do with what they were doing and they wanna change and do something totally different. Um, and there's a whole different way that Jesus and the apostles taught to handle that situation. So there's two different situations. This is serious stuff. It has serious consequences. Uh, I know of a of an example, a real life example, of a pastor of a mega church, and his son was pastoring a, a branch of that church, and his son got involved in an affair with um, maybe his secretary. I don't know, but you know, torp the marriage. And he he repented, you know, and and changed his mind and left that situation and, and got back with his wife and they were trying to work it out. But the way the elders handled that situation, the way it was done, he never was able to to get out of the sense of condemnation, out of the depression and the oppression of having failed his dad. It was his dad who was the head pastor. So in in the body of Christ, and having failed, he couldn't get past the failure. And the way they handled it apparently didn't help. And I don't know all the facts, but he committed suicide. He was so depressed. He had had children. This is serious consequences, how we respond to a brother or sister who falls. How we respond to them is serious. And that's an extreme case. But there are millions of believers who have been tricked by the enemy, have fallen. Um, They've gotten back up and where they needed the encouragement of the body of Christ, they didn't get it. And they maybe left the church forever. They're still believers, they're still in Christ, God's still with them. God's still ministering to them even though if the body is not, if the church is not, God's still with them. It has severe consequences How we, when we don't show God. His grace to those who need it the most. The point I want to make tonight is this. We give way too much power to sin. Way too much power to sin. We talk about grace, 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 grace. But when you have a brother or sister who has fallen and who has repented, who has changed their mind about it, and they want to fix this. They don't like what they're doing. They hate what they're doing. Romans 7, I hate what I'm doing, Paul says. I do what I don't want to, the very thing I don't like, I do, and I'm struggling. When that brother or sister doesn't have the grace and the ministry of the life of Christ to help them get through that, then we really don't get grace. We really don't. And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about in general, you know, the body of Christ in general. Jesus does not look at sin like we look at sin. Behold the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He looks at mankind as lost sheep. He looks at mankind as a lost coin of great value. He said, this is my father. It's it's like it's like a man had two sons. And you know the story of the prodigal son? And here's one son who says, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead, father. I want my inheritance now. And that's basically what he was saying when he says, I want my inheritance. He goes, I wish you were dead. I just want my inheritance. And the father gave him what he asked for, and he went out and spent all his money and riotous living with prostitutes and and drunkenness and whatever he did until he ran out of money, and then he ended up in a pigsty, and and he realized, you know, I had a better life back home as uh, my father's servants lived better than this, and he came to himself, and he realized this is not right. He repented. He changed his mind. He had a speech prepared to tell his papa how he didn't deserve to be his son. If I can just be one of your servants, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I love you, papa. He was thinking about his speech. His father was looking down the road every day. And one day he saw it. And he ran to him. And Jesus says, this is what my father's like. And I love that parable because God's a king. Kings don't have to run anywhere. Kings say it and it's done. They declare it and it is. They don't have to run anywhere. But Jesus said, my father is like this. He ran to him and embraced him. Before he could give his First John 1, 9 speech, about confession of sin and getting back right with God and all of that before he could give any speech. The father said, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring his sandals, kill the fatted calf, we're gonna have a party. Of course, that angered the other brother, the brother who didn't really ever know his dad. He just lived in a relationship with his dad based on keeping the rules and doing good deeds, but he never really knew the heart of his father because he never even knew his father enough to know that he could ask for a fatty calf and have his own party if he wanted to, but he never even thought about doing that because he saw his dad as someone stern. He didn't really know his dad. So the legalist doesn't even know the heart of the father. The prodigal son saw a, a part of his father he never knew existed. And that prodigal son from that day forward was a different person. Let me ask you this, which, which pastor would you rather have? A pastor who is rigid with keeping the law and being obedient and never really letting his weaknesses show, or the pastor who has a horrible failure of the flesh, but repents and comes back to God, so to speak, he, not that he ever left God, God didn't leave him, but he comes to his senses and he realizes this is death it's not life and I want life I want to walk in the Spirit and now he sees the heart of God like never before and he can minister the mercy of God the heart of God like never before I'd much rather have the prodigal son pastor because he knows God David said when he failed he committed adultery and then murder to hide his adultery and then God you know showed him what what he did and, and, and David cried out to God and said, "Oh God, you know, blot out my transgressions." He goes, "Now I can teach transgressors thy ways." Now, now he's at a place where he can he can minister in a way he never could minister before to people and tell who tell people who God really is. He saw the mercy of God. He saw Actually, David saw prophetically the new covenant that was coming. So anyway, it's it's serious stuff, you know, it, it may not be an extreme case where, like the, the example I gave where the, where the young pastor committed suicide, but, I mean, that's horrible. The church can do better than that. Now, just briefly, when you, when you have someone who, who won't change their mind or won't repent, I'll share a few thoughts on that, but I really want to focus more tonight on the brother or sister who is willing to repent and change their mind. They're not really wanting to stay in whatever they're in. But for the person who doesn't want to change their, their mind, even even that situation is handled with great tenderness with God. Jesus said, um, if you see something going on like that, you know, if a brother is trapped in some kind of a situation or if he's doing something that, um, you know, is... A fleshly kind of thing. I think it's got to be a weightier, a weighty a weighty matter. You know, it's not like we're not looking for sin in everybody. But Jesus said, go alone to him first. Go alone and talk to him. Jesus, Jesus was really big on not spreading gossip. So he said, first, you go by yourself and talk to that person and, and see if you'll, if he'll hear you. And then if he won't listen to you, then take a take just one or two more. He said, just take one or two more people. You know. And if they won't, if he won't listen to those two, three people, then, you know, then maybe the whole church can talk to him. But you see the gentleness of God? How how gentle he is, and how because he wants the person to see that they're on a pathway to death and not life. And hopefully they'll. They'll change their mind about their, their course of action, whatever it may be. One example Paul gives is the, the, the man who was sleeping with his father's wife. We, we think it's probably a stepmother, the way Paul words that, his father's wife. And at first he he didn't see anything wrong with it. And that's when Paul had the church, you know, talk to him and address it. Well, he, he changed his mind. He repented. In the second letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, he mentions the, the issue. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he mentions how this brother has repented and changed his mind. And, and he said, confirm your love to that brother, lest you be overcome with sorrow. For we're not ignorant of Satan's, Satan's devices, his schemes to bring us down in condemnation and depression. So in the second letter, he was really strong with the church and, and reach out to that brother and embrace him, bring him in. Then you have the other situation that the brother who, who, you know, there's no problem with repenting. The person realizes, I don't want to do this. Romans 7, I hate what I'm doing. I want to get free of this. It's really important that we see the person as God sees them. You know, God is, his love is so awesome. Behold the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. We give too much power to sin. Paul said this. He said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. See, that's a great scripture, but sometimes we're reluctant to use it on a situation where we feel like this person needs to get what's coming to him. You know what I'm saying? But Paul said... There is no sin greater than the blood of the Lamb. Where sin abounds. He didn't say where there's a little sin. He says where abounds. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. In Galatians, Paul says when you go to a brother or sister who's struggling in the flesh, Paul says to he says, you who are spiritual, go. Now, what does that mean? I think there are, I see three problems in the church, three problems that need to be corrected so we don't have this, this horrible result of someone being so depressed because of a failure that they can't pull out of it and they end up killing themselves. I see three major problems in the church. In, in in addressing this. Number one, there's not a clear understanding of the gospel, number one. This particular church emphasized a lot about obedience to God's commandments, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, fact, this particular brother, when he would end his prayers, many times he would end his prayers, almost every time he he would end his prayers and say, and Lord, let us be doers of the word, not hearers only. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. Good scripture. But you can see the emphasis. The emphasis in his heart. He's got to do it. He's got to do it. Let us be doers and not hearers only. When you have an emphasis on the law or the commandments or obedience, it's a poison. It's a slow poison. The scripture says the law is the strength of sin. I mean, Paul said it pretty clearly. He said, we are dead to the law. When you're dead to something, you have no relationship with it whatsoever. That's a bold, radical statement. He says we're not under the law. We're dead to the law. He says the law is the very strength of sin. If you have if you have any thought that the law is going to help you out, let me just make it clear to you, the law will give strength to your sin. So The biggest number one problem with many churches is that we just don't don't understand the gospel. So we're feeding a mixture of law and grace and a little bit bit of leaven will leaven the whole up eventually and people will not be able to handle the flesh because the law is the strength of sin. The great mystery of our own death and resurrection in Christ is what is not clearly proclaimed like it should be. Paul... Tied freedom from sin with your, the mystery of your death all the time in his letters. He tied freedom from sin with death in Christ. For he who has died is freed from sin, he says. But yet, rarely, rarely do we hear preachers and teachers talk about this great mystery of our own death on the cross. For I was crucified with Christ. The great mystery of your own death is rarely, rarely even spoken. But what is spoken is a platitude of morality and commandments and a need for obedience, you know, but it's not the mystery of the gospel. Great is the mystery of your godliness. It is not, the Bible is not a book of principles to live by so you can have a successful life. The Bible has a great mystery hidden in its pages. The revelation of the Son is hidden there. Jesus himself is in every page. And his awesome work and his purpose for coming and dying and being raised again. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to the church so that we see it clearly. So we are not trapped by wrong thinking. The law is not of faith, Paul said. It's not of faith. Paul said to the Galatians, I labor as one giving birth that, I'm, that I might minister to you in such a way that Christ might be formed in you. But he goes, but I, I fear that you're missing it because you're going back to law. Notice that Paul, the apostle, put Christ being formed in a person, which is just another way of saying the mind being renewed so that the reality of what is inside the believer may get out and be manifested. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. That's all he's saying, that Christ being formed in us might be through the renewal of our mind, see this incredible reality of union that he might live his own life through us. For I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ Christ. Lives through me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by simple faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But notice how the apostle ties the formation of Christ in the, in the body of Christ with being totally free from law. It's counterintuitive, it is foolishness to the natural mind. And it's rarely taught and emphasized. And so you have over a period of time that little bit of leaven that works in those, and it it especially affects those who are sincere, those who are sincerely wanting to follow God, who want to maybe pastor his church and feed his church and help his people. It, It is especially insidious to those who really want God. So first thing I see is that the revelation the apostolic revelation of the mystery of Christ and what he did in in bringing the whole world into judgment on the cross and raising a new creation by his resurrection, the last Adam from above, a new race, no longer from below, but from above. This understanding must be the foundation in the church. I blame the church many times, generally speaking, when I see a lot of people that end up falling and having issues, because they were, they were fed such a, such a mixture of diet, a diet of wood, hay and stubble, a mixture of law and grace. So that's, that's the first thing I think that that's got to be clearly understood and spread in the body of Christ, this, the simplicity of Christ. I mean, And we get off on tangents so easy. Paul told the Corinthians, he goes, I, I, I fear that like Eve, you're being beguiled and moved away from the simplicity of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, he said. And he mentions Eve because he's, he's bringing in the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is what he's implying. She was moved away from the simplicity of the tree of life to another tree, a tree that focused on knowledge of right and wrong as opposed to Christ himself. And it's very subtle sometimes, the the legalistic thing that tries to get in the church. Paul was always fighting it. Simplicity of Christ. To live is Christ. My life is Christ. See, it doesn't. Appeal, this doesn't appeal to the intellectual. It doesn't appeal to the to the guy that wants to figure it all out and and look brilliant while he's teaching it. It's simple. Christ, my life. Paul said, "I'll consider all that education I had just." Compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, see, God said, I put everything in my Son, and then I gave my Son to you, and I put you in my Son, and my Son in you, that you might have all things in my Son. For Christ has been made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. For all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom. And knowledge are hidden in Him. You see that? And God is glorified when we boast in Christ, in the simplicity of Christ. Paul says, I boast in Christ. He is my righteousness. For God confounds the the wise with, with the gospel, with the foolish." He has made the wisdom of this world void, Paul says. The wisdom of this world that came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that everything stems from this knowledge of right and wrong, God has made all that void, meaningless, because it amounts to zero when it comes to a relationship with God. For apart from the gift of righteousness, through God's grace, man cannot, cannot be saved and cannot know God cannot walk with God and cannot live forever. So that's the first thing I see that that, that has to be there, the revelation of the, of the true gospel. Secondly, I see in churches, if, so you may have a good grasp of grace and the, the, the fact that we're free from law, but do we understand how to minister the spirit of life? And this is that verse we talked about a few minutes ago where in Galatians where Paul says, you who are spiritual, go to the brother who is entrapped in some fleshly thing to restore him, Paul says. Restore what? Restore his faith. So he's already, he's just as righteous as he's always been. God's still in him. He's still in God. He's a believer. But he's struggling. He's, he's trapped in some issue and Paul says when you go to when you who are spiritual go to this brother consider your own self lest you also be tempted in other words you go with a, a humility that says but for the grace of god i would be i could be doing this exact same thing you see the humility see when you see the true gospel you don't have to try to be humble do you know apart from god I can do zero and all my good works amount to zero you know that so when you really see the true gospel you know one of the most profound things Jesus said on the earth this is the most pro- one of the most profound statements and I think we read right past it one of the most profound things ever said on the earth is when Jesus told Nicodemus He was seeking for truth. And he said, Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again, Nicodemus, or you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He was bringing another reality on earth. He was bringing another reality. And you can't see it unless you are born of the spirit. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying that he was going to bring a whole, he was going to create a whole new race of people. That's why Nicodemus says, how can I enter my mother's womb and be born again? What are you talking about? See, he was, he was, this is radical. See, the, the Jewish people had no concept, no concept of this flesh and spirit dichotomy. It was not revealed until Jesus came. This new creation was not revealed until Jesus came. What he was going to do? That eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it hasn't even entered in the mind of me. what God is going to do. He's going to wipe out the Adamic race and raise a whole new race of men from born from heaven and they'll walk the earth in union with God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, first of all, who would have that thought? And secondly, how is he going to do that? You see what I'm saying? This was a whole different, that's why the Pharisees, you know, we hear this thing, and we're talking about this, how to minister the grace of God, right? And The Pharisees, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, you're so concerned about the speck in your brother's eye, and you don't see the log in your own eye. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I guarantee you, most people think what Jesus is saying is that don't condemn your brother over here because of his sin, because you have a lot more sin than he does. Most people think that's what he's saying, that, you know, a log compared to a speck. But that's not what he's saying at all. In context, he's talking to the Pharisees who have no concept of a new creation that's coming, have no concept of the flesh and the spirit, what God is about to do. And he says to the Pharisee, Pharisee, make the tree good, and you'll have good fruit. And he says, the Pharisee goes, we can't make the tree good. And he's giving him hints about what he was going to do. So what's the log in the Pharisee's eye? And what's the log that still remains in the eyes of many who who maybe understand grace, but don't know how to minister grace? The log is a failure to see how to minister to the unseen new man looking past the flesh. If you don't see that, if that log's not out of your way, you will try to modify behavior with laws and commandments and pressure and fear and consequences. You'll think like the, the, the potter, the clay on the wheel, potter mentality. God used to deal like that with people. God used to deal like that with men. The clay on the potter's wheel and God putting pressure and making the potter. That used to be the way he dealt. You know why? Because there was no new creation. There was only flesh. And God dealt with natural men, with, a, with law, which was for natural man, and he used pressure and consequences and all these things to mold men and change their behavior and test men and all these things because the new thing had not yet come. But when it came, the prophet said, Behold, he does a new thing. Consider not the things of old. Behold, he does a very new thing. You're not going to believe this. I say I say oh my god who has believed our report but we still think we're on the potter's wheel. We think God is using pressure to make us. That's that's thinking with a log in our eye. He doesn't use pressure. Think about it. If you are a new creation raised up by the power of God, complete, holy and blameless within a body, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. How do you get that life? to manifest is it through pressure is it through law is it through what the the weapons of the flesh he who began in the spirit are you now made perfect through the flesh and the law and the way that things used to be done when there was no new creation god we don't have a clay potter real mentality as a a believer anymore we have a new creation mentality a death and resurrection mentality death and resurrection is final it's done it's done he's not working on you contrary to the bumper sticker he is not working on you except in this sense he is working on all of us to open our eyes more and more to what already is that's the renewal of the mind. That's the progressive nature of the new covenant. The progressive nature of the Christian life is not trying to get somewhere that you're not. It's trying to see where you are. And that's a huge difference. Because at that, when you see that, you're at rest. You're already there, man. You're seated with Him in heavenly places with the righteousness of God. doesn't get any better than that with eternal life abiding within you, John says, then what remains, Lord? What remains is that the eyes of your new heart might be opened. that You might see the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of this great work of God, the unsearchable riches in him, the inheritance that's in the saints, that your eyes might be opened more and more and more. So, if that's true, how do you minister to someone who is a new creation? It's a whole different, a whole different approach. We speak the truth to them in love, the scripture says. And that's, that's been just totally distorted in the church, speak the truth in love. Yeah, tell him his sin. And then love him, even though he's a dirty, rotten sinner. First of all, no, no believer is a sinner. You're either a sinner or a saint. The Apostle Paul said those who are in Christ are saints, and those who are not in Christ are sinners. We were all sinners at one time. Because we believed on Him, He raised us up with Him. He sanctified us, past tense. And therefore, we are saints. We are the holy ones because of what He did. And though we sin at times as believers and walk after the flesh at times, that doesn't make you a sinner Paul said if I'm sinning does that mean Christ is the minister of sin as a believer he goes God forbid he goes no of course not but but Paul said I do not go back under the law in my thinking and make myself a transgressor Paul says you're not under the law anymore you have died in this great mystery and been released from this earth we once were joined to the flesh married to the flesh Married to the Adamic race. Our husband was the flesh, so to speak. Romans 7. But through the body of Christ, he became sin for us. That through his death, our husband, the flesh, the Adamic connection might die. And you, the real you, the inner you, the wife in this metaphor is free now to marry another. Even Christ, raised from the dead. Your new husband is the risen Christ. And he was he took on the sins of, the, of the, all the Adamic race that the, that the Adamic race that we were married to might die. You were not married to the law. That's f- another wrong teaching. You're not married to the law. That's a wrong teaching. You're not married to the law. You're married to the flesh under the jurisdiction of the law. And to be free from the jurisdiction of the law, Paul said you must die because once you die, you're free from that, that law that says you can't remarry. The law never dies. The metaphor doesn't work anyway if you think you're married to the law, as Paul is saying, because the husband's the one that dies. So you're married to the law, the husband dies. The law doesn't die. Well, I I die. Yeah, but that's not what the metaphor says. It's confusing. Because you're not married to the law, you're married to the flesh, which is why Paul says in Romans 7 and 8, he goes to great length to talk about we're no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. If Christ be in you, you're you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. The mind set on the flesh is death, the mind set on the spirit is life. See? Romans 7 and 8, he, he drives the point home. This dichotomy, this apostolic revelation of a new creation. See? You are you are you are you're you're out of here. <laughs> you're not under the law anymore, you're not in this realm anymore. You have been, you have died, and therefore the jurisdiction of the law no longer can to touch you. That's the great mystery of his death and resurrection. And having been joined to him, we have, we have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness, where law rules and condemnation, translated from the kingdom of this, of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. As we walk the earth now, not, not when this body dies only, but now, past tense, translated. And we see this other reality, where God has become my father, and I have become as righteous as God. As a, with a gift, as a gift with God's own righteousness. Condemnation is impossible in this realm. Impossible. That's what you say to a brother who's struggling with all boldness. That's what you proclaim. You who are spiritual go to him. Not you who are legalistic. Not you who don't understand this great mystery, but you who are spiritual, go with all humility, knowing that apart from God, you could be doing the same thing because the flesh is the flesh and we all have the flesh. And so you draw out, you restore faith by speaking the truth in great love, the truth of this awesome reality, the real, which is what the word means in the Greek, the real, speak the real. I know know for a fact this particular church doesn't believe that the Christian has a, a new heart. That's horrible. That's absolutely horrible to teach Christians that they don't have a new heart. That God, their, their view of the new creation is more like a new evolution. They teach that the heart is gradually being purged. And you get holier and holier and progressive sanctification. More and more sanctified. Not what the scripture teaches. So you got a, a person who's struggling. They think they have a wicked heart. And, and you know what? And you're not spiritually minded enough to minister that. No, brother, that's not you. As Romans 7 says, it is sin in the flesh, not you. You are a new creation. You delight in the things of God after the inward man. That's who you are. Be encouraged. see, see. See. How much of that ministry is going on? How much of that ministry is going on in the body of Christ? Well, if you don't see the gospel, you're not going to minister in the spirit of the gospel. We've been made ministers of the spirit of life, not the letter that kills. So, no wonder you've got so many casualties. And it's so interesting to see how... Going back to that parable where Jesus talks about the log and the eye and the speck, you see how God how God values what value he puts or how he sees sin to him? The act of sin? uh, That's just a speck. That's just a speck. The more the the big issue, the more the big problem is you don't see what I did. You still think you can improve the flesh, Pharisee. You still think that, that there's some righteousness in a, in, inherent in a man. You don't see, Pharisee, the mystery of, of, of the cross and the resurrection. That's a huge log. And so while you're trying to take a speck and try to keep somebody from committing some little sin over here, you're gouging their eyes out because you don't know what you're doing because you can't see. But if you get the log out of your eye, Pharisee, if you'll you'll see the gospel, if you'll see the truth, then Jesus said, you'll see clearly to help your brother take the speck out of his eye. You see? You'll see clearly how to minister the spirit of life to help that brother so the speck is out. You see that? John, the apostle John said, when you see a brother entrapped in sin, John says, pray that God would minister life to him. How many people think of that? Why do the apostles think of that? Because that is the gospel. That is the dynamic of the gospel. That is the revelation of the mystery of Christ. That is how the apostles ministered. They thought about ministering life because it's life from the inside. Jesus said, watch the inside of the cup and the outside will become clean. You know, that's actually what happens. You take a cup, a coffee cup in the sink. And you're trying to clean the, uh, the Pharisees were just keep cleaning the outside of the cup. Because they couldn't clean the inside. They, they, they have no creative power to do that. Only God could do that, right? And they didn't see it anyway. They didn't understand it. So they're always trying to clean the outside of the cup. Always old stained coffee on the inside because they, they can't touch the inside. Only God can touch the inside. So God says, Jesus said, I'm going to clean the inside of the cup. If you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will become clean. And that actually happens in the sink. You know, when you're washing the coffee cup and getting all the water's overflowing and everything. By the time you finish cleaning the inside, the outside's perfect. (laughs) Right? So next time you clean your coffee cup in the sink, just think, Jesus, you're so good. (laughs) You clean me from the inside. I don't have to worry about cleaning myself up on the outside. It's just going to happen with the life overflowing. Now, see, those are the words you say to a brother who's struggling with sin. Those words will not be spoken in most churches, nor understood. And so that brother is gonna plunge further in despair, trying to fix himself in condemnation, and who knows where he may end up. You see? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at how Jesus responded to sin. I'm gonna get to number three in a minute because it's a it's a whopper. <laughs> the number third the third thing I see wrong that the church needs to correct. But look how look how Jesus responded to sin. The sinners. Zacchaeus was cheating his Jewish brothers, working for the Roman gov- government, taking too much in taxes, and you know, pocketing too much and. They hated Zacchaeus because he was, they knew he was taking too much, but they couldn't do anything about it because he had the protection of Rome. One of, his, one of their Jewish brothers were a traitor. Jewish, little Jewish couples trying to make a living and work hard in their farms and fishing and so forth. And here comes Zacchaeus, and he takes way too much in taxes, and we can't say a thing about it because the Romans will come down on our heads. Zacchaeus, such a crook. Like somebody else I know. (laughs) But Zacchaeus, he was seeking. I think he was just not happy with his life. And he climbed a tree so he could get a a better view of Jesus. Now here's Jesus' response to this crook. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner at your house today. And the people around him said, Do you know who that is? Oh my God, he's gonna have dinner with Zacchaeus. Did you hear that? And Zacchaeus was so excited. Really? You want to you, with me? And Zacchaeus comes up off the tree and Oh, this way, this way, Master, this way. And he put the food out and everything, and all Jesus did was just love on him. That's his response to a crook. And Zacchaeus says, Oh God, oh Lord, if I have taken too much money, I will, I will return it sevenfold. I think he said sevenfold. Something like the three, four, fivefold, I'll, I'll return it. All the money I've stolen. He didn't say the right words. And, you know he didn't do his confession of sin. And he, didn't, he didn't say the, the right prayer. But, but Jesus saw his heart and simply said, Oh, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house today because he received the Son of God. He never was the same. How did Jesus respond to the woman caught in adultery? The very act of adultery. God has that example for us because there there was no repentance. She was pulled from the bed in the act of adultery. This is an example that God wanted us to see. No repentance forced out of the bed in the presence of the Christ. What will you do now? Lord Moses said she is to be stoned to death and the Lord reached down and began to write on the ground and like I've said here before I believe I don't think he was writing anything people have all these theories about oh he's writing the Ten Commandments no he's just doodling people he just does not want to look at the woman and meet her eyes in the context of of condemnation he will not look at her yet until he gets these rascals out of here you see it so he turns on them and looks them right in the eye probably picked up a stone and said he who is without sin let him cast the first stone and then he went down again and doodled some more, not looking at the woman. One by one, they left, beginning with the oldest, because they have more sin. The young, the young ones were like, "Come on, we're gonna have a stoning today." And everybody's leaving, and you know, the, finally the young ones left, and it was just him and her. That's when he looked at her, and he said, "Woman." Where are your accusers? And she looked around and scared to death and said, there are none, Lord. And he said, neither do I. And he's the only one that could pick up a stone and throw it. He was without sin. He says, neither do I. Lifted her up. Eye to eye, the same. What do you mean? Pharisees are thinking, what do you mean? You to let her off that easy? Where's the probation period? <laughs> Where's the consequences? She ruined a family with her adultery. She wrecked, wrecked a marriage. You're going to just say go and sin no more that you don't condemn her? That's it? We give way too much power to sin. Jesus took it all. Nothing else needs to be paid our probation is really a form of punishment and payment and Jesus will have none of it the prodigal son was immediately restored Peter was sent to preach the gospel on Pentecost after denying he even knew the Lord and even cursed so that people wouldn't think he was one of his and Jesus came to him cooking breakfast on the beach and said you're gonna be my spokesman on Pentecost when this whole thing breaks open what about the probation Lord there's got to be a probation what about the probation? You can't just let Peter lead this thing? I mean, he he lied. When you needed him most, he lied and he cursed and he was and he denied he even knew you three times when you needed him the most. You can't let Peter lead this this revival, this worldwide movement, this new covenant. You can't let Peter be the spokesman. Maybe John or James, but not Peter. We give way too much power to sin we don't see it like god sees it what would happen if a fallen pastor who repents and who is just so sorrowful for what happened what would happen if the whole body of christ said pastor we're with you we all without christ none of us could stand You'll be a better pastor than ever now because you'll understand, you know, how much we all need him and you need him and what would happen? The person in the back pew who is watching closely to see how the church handles this will say, wow, there's hope for me. Because when I fall, they won't kick me to the curb either. What will happen? There'll be such a revelation of grace and encouragement And the enemy's plan to hit the leader will be thwarted instead of us like dumb sheep just following the trap, into the trap, and kicking to the curb, the enemy laughing all the way. You look at those churches where the pastor has fallen and he's kicked out. Those churches are never the same. Think about it. They're never the same. They have other pastors come in and they try to replace it. They're never the same. The same why? because God's not pleased with that. if that pastor repented, if that pastor do we believe in repentance or not? Do we believe in grace or not? Do we believe he's as, just as righteous as Jesus is or not? You know? What would happen if we actually lived grace in those situations? I tell you it would change, it would change the church, it would change the world. Because the world's, they see, they see all that. All right, real quick, wrap it up. The third thing that I think prevents us from ministering as Jesus would have us minister to the fallen among us. Leaders are just uh, not, not, not necessarily leaders, but believers, members in the body of Christ. The third problem in the church, the third reason why many believers are not helped and ministered as Jesus would have them ministered to is because of money. Money. Many churches are set up in a business model. And that business model, in order to get a tax deduction, has a board of directors, can't say certain things from the pulpit or the IRS tax deduction will be jerked from them. And many of these churches are set up in this business model where they have a lot of expensive salaries, expenses, big buildings. They need the cash flow. I'm telling you, a lot of believers have been so hurt because they were treated in a way Because the leaders of that church did not want the money to dry up. They didn't want the church to have a bad reputation. They may have some big donors that give a lot of money, would not be happy with that. Sometimes big donors don't don't really know the gospel. They just have a lot of money. I'm telling you, the money issue is huge. What if there was not a money issue? What if you didn't care if money would, would come in or not? Would you handle the situation different? Yes. In many cases, yes. Jesus sees this. That's why he turned the tables of money changers, the money changers over. You know, Paul, when Paul established churches, all the leaders had a job. The, the apostles were the only ones who lived by the gospel. Like Morris and Pat, they have a job. They have a, they have a job. They, have, they, they work outside. They're not dependent on the money coming in from the saints. awesome. It's awesome. She said, you'd be in bad shape. (laughs) That's how, that's how Paul set up the churches. Paul, Paul would go, read about it, read about in in the book of Acts, how he set up the church in Ephesus. You see where he would raise up elders. All the elders had jobs. As an apostle, he could live by the gospel, but he said, I choose not to so I can set an example for the elders and show them how laboring and working with their hands that they can take care of their own needs and take care of the needs of the body and so forth. When you have a, a business model as the church where money and cash flow is huge to pay salaries, to pay expenses and so forth, it affects how you teach and what you teach. That's why you see some pastors that say they understand grace and, but they still, te- they still teach tithing. They say they understand the new covenant, but they still mention tithing. Tithing is not new covenant. Absolutely not. Tithing is old covenant, old law, 10%. Release the people to be givers, Paul said. Paul said, cause them to see the the Christ who was rich became poor for us. Cause them to see him and his greatness and his good generosity, and they will give way beyond 10%. Release the saints to be who they are, as God has prospered you and purposed your purpose in your heart, so give. That's what the apostle taught. Nowhere does the apostle ever teach tithing. But when you have a business model that requires major cash flow and major expenditures and a pastor that makes over 100000 a year or whatever it is, and that's all he has, the only income he has, You better believe they're going to teach tithing. You better believe they need the cash. And you better believe they're going to respond differently to a brother who falls or a sister who falls in the church because they do not want to lose any members and lose cash flow. They're going to act differently. I'm telling you, they do act differently. And in the boardrooms of churches, it happens all the time. And God sees it. And so these people go out in despair because we don't want this. This messes up our reputation. This is too messy. We don't want this to be we got to put you on probation for a year out of the way and we'll tell the church we're working on you because we don't want we don't anybody to know or anybody to be offended that we're letting you still be among us you see it's corrupt it's corrupt the simplicity of the church and lost in our zeal to to get donations to get donations we need tax credit to get tax credit we have to have a board of directors and we have to set it up like a corporation Nonprofit irs tells us we can't endorse a candidate from the pulpit or we lose our nonprofit status so we can't say certain things from the pulpit hmm yeah you think jesus would start a church by, by setting up a 501c non-profit corporation Really? Think about it. Jesus, would he start a church by setting up with a secretary of state, a 501c non-profit corporation so he can have people donate so they can get a tax deduction? Think about it. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And the point is, the money factor affects how we treat the fallen. It happens all the time in churches mainly the big churches because it's a big big expense a lot of money got a donor that's given a million dollars a year we don't want to make him mad he's paying our mortgage but why the heck do you have to have a million dollars a year anyway see that's the problem why that why that model peter says silver and gold we don't have but such as we have we give to you the power of christ first century church didn't even didn't even buy a building to meet in for 300 years 300 years older than the United States of America saints met in homes and in public places and they gathered and they gathered in in buildings and all the point is they didn't go into major debt to build their own little kingdom and make it a business venture and made millions off of So when we see the true gospel we'll know how to minister in the dynamic of the spirit and hopefully the wineskin the wineskin will be set up in such a way the simplicity of the wineskin as Jesus intended it to be set up through the apostles that the new wine might flow and bless and minister life a new wineskin for a new wine I believe that there are millions that have this vision in the church. They may not be leaders now, but they will be leaders tomorrow. God is calling them, and the model that they will set up, the new wineskin that will flourish with the revelation of the gospel, will be a sight to behold. Then they can just encourage each other to give to each other. Yeah, don't worry about giving. We, we don't have any, you know, we've got a few expenses here. You know, yeah, we've got, we got to rent this building. We've got a few things here, you know. But, yeah, you see your brother in need. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, man. Don't, don't, don't go through us to get some tax deduction. Help your brother. You want to help your brother pay their rent? Go for it. You see the simplicity of it? Encouraging the body to give to each other. As you see your brother in need, help him out. You don't have to go through us. You don't have to tell us about it. We don't have to know about it. Oh, it solves so many problems. Release the body to be who they are. See what kind of ministry would be released among the body of Christ, encouraging each other. We're probably heading into a time, and I'll wrap up here, we're probably heading into a time in in our, our lives on earth where can't be business as usual. What I'm talking about is nothing new, really. The underground church in China is doing this now because they have to. Russia, because of the oppression of the government. Rome, we live in Rome. We must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We must follow the Spirit, minister as He would minister, proclaim His gospel, and call the world to see, behold, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, encouraging each other no matter what the failure no matter what the weakness, no matter what. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Awesome. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these things. Lord, I pray you would take these words and... In the hearts of the saints here tonight and in the hearts of those who are hearing now by the broadcast and then those who will hear at some point in the future when they listen to these words, I pray that you would take these words, Lord, as bread and break break the bread and just multiply it. Help us see, Lord, simplicity of Christ. Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love and with loving kindness I draw you to myself. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. No sin, no trouble, no sickness, no height, no depth. No angel, no principality, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. Oh.
0: Amen. Thank you, James. Good word. Good word. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I always want more. <laughs> it only comes for one night. <laughs> we got to get you on a, on a longer stay uh, in the future. So, uh, with that said, uh, there is a love offering basket in the back. I know he said don't give, but uh, give. I <laughs> didn't say don't give. He said don't tithe. And our little thing on the back says don't give grudgingly or out of necessity, but give out of out of a cheerful heart so give cheerfully as uh, the lord leads you uh for james's ministry and uh for his life and blessing okay let's all stand
1: anything you anything you give tonight i wanted to stay here in this body to help this church out so uh please do give as god purposes in your heart to give and and uh, encourage morris and pat but uh every, anything you give will stay here in this body to help out morris and pat
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. That's very generous of you. Uh, You've done that before. I never presume anything. Uh, You know, uh, we give as the Lord uh, prospers us, and so we do. Uh, uh, So thank you for coming out. Uh, Those of you who don't normally attend New Beginnings Church, thank you for being here. Uh, Those of you who do attend New Beginnings Church, don't forget to be here Sunday. And don't forget what's going to happen this weekend. Something big, fall back, fall back. I always fall back, regroup, and run like crazy on Tuesday, all right? <laughs> the clock will go back one hour. Some of you will be here an hour earlier. That's fine. We'll give you something to do, all right? Don't worry about it. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We proclaim your blessings upon James. Thank you for him, for Cindy, his wife, his children. Bless them for letting James come tonight and be with us. Father, watch over us as we go our separate ways, give us a safe travel, and uh, Father, get us into our beds safe and sound tonight, and we might get a good night's sleep and wake up tomorrow, if you're so generous to give us a new day, that when the sun breaks forth in that eastern sky, uh, we'll be aware that your compassions never fail, that they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.